Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I am the lead pastor. I appreciate you guys coming out today. Someone this morning, one of our volunteers was saying, hey, you know, church is probably going to be dead today. The Masters are on. I think it's the Masters. I know nothing about sports. I'm like, well, you guys are here, so I appreciate it. You guys came out. I, I like that. If it is your first time here, let me kind of catch you up as to what we're doing. Because today, we are wrapping up this series that we're calling Follow Me. And over the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing is we've been taking a look at the life of Jesus, and we've been drilling down on his teachings, but specifically, we've been paying particular attention at his methods, the way that he taught, the way that he interacted with people. Because what you saw on the bumper is this idea that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. They, they couldn't wait to be around him. They couldn't wait to learn at his feet. And even though sometimes his teaching would be difficult and, and the truth might sting a little bit, they were never offended by him. And yet, way too often, people get offended by Christians. And the question that we're trying to answer is, where's the disconnect? What was he doing that we're not? Or what are we doing that he didn't? And the reason this is so important is because as we go out into the world and tell people about Jesus Christ, all that kind of a thing, we have to understand that Jesus specifically prayed about this. The last night that he was on this earth alive, he was praying to God the Father. And he was talking about his disciples specifically in this prayer. And, and, and he looked at God and he prayed and he said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. And he continues, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And then he talks about Christians today. Maybe you, maybe you in the room. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And what we learn from this prayer is that when you become a Christian, when you say yes to Jesus, you aren't just handed a ticket to go right into heaven. Rather, Jesus and God specifically leave you here on this earth because they have a job for you. They want you to go out into the world. They want you to go to friends and family and coworkers, and they want you to spread the message of Jesus Christ. And our hope is that this series was helpful for you, that, that it would give you tools to do a better job at the job Jesus has given us. So I believe that in every person's life, and this may happen more than one time, but I believe in every person's life, we will have what I'll call a defining moment. It's this time when we come face to face with truth. And this truth, whatever the truth may be, invites you to change and in some circumstances actually demands that you make a decision. Are you going to go this new way with what you've just heard, or are you going to continue to just do what you've always done? Today we're going to look at a man who had a defining moment with Jesus Christ, and theologians discuss this interaction that Jesus has today as perhaps the greatest most influential, most important conversation that Jesus had in his entire ministry. And what he does and what you're going to see is that through this conversation, he, in essence, unravels this man's theology. This man thought he had it all figured out. God, heaven, and what Jesus shows him is that maybe you didn't know as much as you thought you knew. And the reason we have to talk about this today is because I believe, by and large, most of our conversations, we're out there in the world, we're at work, we're with family, I think most of our conversations are really going to be with Christians, or at least people who, who, who think they're Christians. 
And what you'll find when you're kind of sharing, you know, your thoughts on Jesus is that these folks who, who consider themselves to be Christians seem to be at times a little confused. That, that there's almost some pieces to the puzzle that are missing. And as you dig deeper and deeper, what you learn is that they don't really know what they don't know. And your job, according to Jesus' prayer, is to help them have a defining moment about who Jesus is. So today we are going to be in the book of John chapter 3, roughly verses 1 through 15. And it starts off with this. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. So every single week, in this series, the Pharisees have popped up. If you're not familiar with the Pharisees, let me just briefly explain to you who they are. They were the Jewish uh, religious leaders at the time. And as we spoke about last week, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. As we spoke about last week, we learned that the Pharisees were hyper-focused and obsessed with rules and regulations and law. And when they originally started all this, it was all well-intentioned, but over the years, it actually became a negative thing. And all their rules and all their regulations, as as holy as they thought they were, were actually pushing people away from God. Nicodemus is one of these men. But what's interesting is that there's something a little different about him. There's something different because he doesn't come in a big group as they normally do. He came by himself. And the scripture specifically notes that he came at nighttime. I think the reason is, is because he wanted to talk to Jesus, but he didn't want anyone to know that he was doing it. So he says, Jesus, Rabbi, we all know, that's interesting in and of itself, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So here's my take on this. In Jerusalem at this time, we've got, let's call it, probably three to 4,000 Pharisees. It's a sect of Judaism, three to 4,000. Within this sect, clearly there is a faction growing. There is a group of Pharisees that believe that Jesus might be somebody. Nicodemus says, we know that you're a teacher from God. Now, so Nicodemus is not in a place where he's saying, we know, Jesus, that you're the Messiah. He's not in a place to say, we know that you are God. But he is in a place to say that you're, you're somebody. So, like so many of us, I think he's in the early stages. He, he's investigating the claims of Jesus. Mm, I'm not really sure, but I'm testing it out. It's like early stages of a relationship. We're just not really sure yet. And I was reading this, and it reminded me of a Seinfeld episode. I don't know if you watch Seinfeld. But in this one episode, Elaine was dating a musician named John Germain. And one day, Seinfeld goes out to the music club. He runs into John Germain. He goes, hey. Elaine told me that your relationship is hot and heavy. And Elaine hears it and she goes, Jerry, what are you doing? Oh, don't you understand? I'm trying to get a little squirrel to come over to me. I can't have any big sudden movements. And you've scared him off. I think in this moment, Nicodemus is like John Germain. He, we don't want to scare him off. No sudden movements. It's kind of like we got a live one on the line, folks. You know, don't do anything strange or weird. He wants to learn about Jesus. And of course, Jesus watches Seinfeld, and he knows the importance of being subtle in our approaches with folks who are maybe investigating the claims of Jesus. They're not there yet, but they want a little bit more. We don't want to be weird. We don't want to say anything. So Jesus says, not a problem. Not a problem. You know what I'll do? I'll just read his mind. I'll just read his mind. And Jesus replied, no question was asked, I tell you the truth, he says. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Jesus is looking at this guy and, and he must have read his mind. He must see that the question that this man came to ask was, how do you get to heaven? How do you get to the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, well, it's simple. You have to be born again. And this is the very first time in scripture that this phrase born again is used. Now, as Americans, I think we've heard this term a lot, born again, you know, born again Christian. And the way that we think of it is like, well, you got your Christians, and you got those born agains, okay? It's kind of like, these are the normal Christians, and these are the ones that are, mm, you know, they're the born agains, those kind of things. And the, and the way that so many of us consider born agains is, these are the folks that had, let's call it a wild life in the past, then they found Jesus, and now they're a zealot. And it's almost like a derogatory term that we use when we call someone one of those born against. But we're familiar with that term, even though our definition is wildly inconsistent with the way that Jesus thinks of this term. But it's the first time that Nicodemus has ever heard these words born again. And he looks at Jesus and he goes, well, what, do you, what do you mean? How can a, an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? I don't want to land on this too much because that imagery will keep you up at nighttime. But I mean, what I, I, think what, I think what's going on here is basically saying, come on, Jesus. I mean, how can, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb? That can't happen. Can it? Okay, it's kind of like that. You're not, this is not legitimately what you're talking about, right? Jesus looks at him and says, I assure you. Other versions, it says, I'm telling you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God. Now he's ramped it up. Before it was no one can see. Now he's saying no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, that's of a woman, and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. He continues, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. He says, you, you, you shouldn't be surprised, Nicodemus. And over and over and again, what you're going to see in this, in this particular interaction is he keeps saying, you should know. You, you ought to know this. You, you should not be surprised. I think what Jesus is doing is playing off Nicodemus' first thing when he said, we know that you're a teacher from God. We, we know these things. I think the point that Jesus is trying to make is that, hey, Nicodemus, you don't even know what you don't know. You Pharisees think you've got it all figured out. Got God figured out. Got the heaven thing figured out. You have no clue. You, 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 don't, you don't even know. You should know. You guys study the scripture every day. You should know that birth alone doesn't gain you entrance into heaven. Something else is needed. Now, we might not know exactly what Jesus is talking about here, but Nicodemus is picking it up. Nicodemus knows that what Jesus is talking about is salvation by association. My words, not his. This is the idea that the Jews believed that if you were related to Abraham, the father and founder of the religious faith, I mean of the Jewish faith, the person that God started Judaism with, if you were related to him, well, then you and God are good. You're related to Abraham? Not a problem. You and God are good. Now you just need to be good and you're all set. Not a problem. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus here is that that relationship with Abraham Glad it exists, but that isn't enough to get you into the kingdom of God. And this is so key for us to understand because so many people, so many people view their religion as they do their nationality. I'm born in America, so that makes me an American. 
I was born to Christian parents, so that makes me a Christian. And Jesus would say, not necessarily. Not necessarily. What Jesus wants us to recognize from this account is that maybe, just maybe, we might be living our parents' faith. That maybe, just maybe, we might be living someone else's faith. And what happens so often is that people call themselves Christian because of their parents, right? They, they may never go to church. They might never pray. They may have never picked up the Bible in their life. But someone says, hey, what religion are you? They go, oh, I'm Christian. Yeah, I was raised Baptist. Yeah. Raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jesus confronts us and says, just like I told Nicodemus, salvation by association doesn't happen like that. Jesus is saying, you, and I'm literally pointing awkwardly at you guys in the room, because I don't really know what's going on in your heart. He goes, you in this room in DHC, you have to be born again. Your first birth, maybe if that was to Christian parents, that's great. He would, he would have said, hey, if your parents baptized you as a child, that's great. I, I'm glad that your parents were letting the world know that, that they are Christians. But if you want to be a Christian, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, then you have to make it personal. You've got to get to a place where you make a decision for yourself to follow Jesus. You got to get to a place where you can call Jesus your personal Lord and Savior. You got to get to a place where you believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says that he is. Now, Nicodemus hears all this, and this is all new, but he doesn't run away. All he says is, how can this be? Jesus, how can all, everything you're telling me, Jesus, is smacking up against my truth. Everything that I've been taught, everything that I teach, says that all I need to do to get into heaven is to be related to Abraham and be a good person. What you're telling me is pushing back against everything that we as a Jewish community have known for thousands of years. In this moment, this is a defining moment for Nicodemus. Is he going to hear this truth and be changed? Or is he just going to continue to do what he's always known? And Jesus jumps in and says, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? Again, playing off, you should know, you should know, you should know. And then Jesus talks about his authority. He says, I assure you, we tell you, meaning he and his disciples, we tell you what we know and have seen. And yet you won't believe our testimony. He goes, when I talk, I talk because I'm from God. You can trust me, and yet you guys don't believe me. He continues and says, but if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, and that means simple things. For him, this being born again is a simple concept. He goes, if you don't believe me about the simple stuff, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things, far more complicated things? So what I think Jesus is doing here in this moment is he's offering a challenge to Nicodemus. And, and it reminds me of this phrase that was above a stairwell in my high school, right outside the library. And it, and it was spoken by an English teacher about 100 years ago. And the word said, if what I'm saying goes above your head, raise your head. I'm not going to dumb it down. 
you're a smart person. If what I'm saying is going above your head, I need you to step up and listen and understand. And Jesus brings this whole conversation back to knowledge. He's saying, Nicodemus, you know the scripture. You know what it says. And now we just need to connect the pieces of the puzzle. So I'm going to drop some knowledge on you, he says. And I need you to raise your head. And he looks at him and he says, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And for the first time in this conversation, Nicodemus has a clue about what's going on. He perks up. Because this phrase, son of man, that Jesus used, any good Jew at that time would know that phrase. This phrase, son of man, was first introduced to them by the great prophet Daniel. You may know Daniel from the story, Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel went on to be a great prophet of God. He spoke more than anybody about the end of the world, but he also spoke a lot about the coming Messiah, this son of man. And when Jesus makes this reference to the son of man, Nicodemus' head starts spinning. And he remembers what Daniel said hundreds of years earlier when he said this. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one, that's God, and was led into his presence. He continues. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And in this moment, it just, it clicks. He realizes that Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man. And what you might see if you read the Gospels is that over the course of Jesus' life, the Son of Man was his favorite way to describe himself. In fact, he called himself the Son of Man 81 times. Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues to go to the Old Testament, what Nicodemus knows. He continues to go back and he goes, let's continue. He goes, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole, in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. I was running this message with Christina this week, and I go, I don't think anybody's going to know what this bronze snake thing is that Jesus is talking about. She goes, oh, I know. I said, of course you would know. Okay? So if you don't know, you all know, but just let's pretend like you don't know. If you don't know what he's talking about, this is a very obscure reference to the Old Testament. It's like four lines from the book of Numbers, which that's a book in the Bible, the book of Numbers. And here's the story. In the Old Testament, God frees the Jewish people from the Egyptians. And after they leave Egypt, they go out into the desert and they're lost for 40 years. And time and time again, they would find themselves where they're complaining about God. And in this one particular instance, they're complaining about the food. Every day, God would send them this thing called manna to eat. It would arrive every morning. It would be just enough for the day. And they didn't like it. Actually, manna in Hebrew means, what is this? Because they, they didn't even know what this was. It was just like white stuff. But they ate it. They complained about it. They didn't like it. And that annoyed God. And so what God did was he sent poisonous snakes into the camp. And these snakes bit them. And they got sick. And many of them died. And this act from God made these Jews realize that they had sinned against God. And they prayed to God to forgive them of their sins. And they said, Moses, help us. 
So Moses prayed to God. He said, God, we need your help. People, they're, they're dying all around us. We, we get it. We messed up, but they're dying all around us. What should we do? And God said, here's what you need to do. I need you to make a replica of the snake. I need you to nail that snake onto a pole. I need you to lift that pole up. And anyone who looks at that snake nailed to the pole will be saved. They will not die because of the poison. Do you know what an Easter egg is? And I don't mean like the colored eggs that the kids are going to go look for, for next year. I mean next week. An Easter egg is a hidden message, if you will, a little breadcrumb, if you will, that an author will leave in a, in a video game or in a book or in a movie that if you're paying close attention, you'll spot it. And, and when you finish the movie, you finish the book, you think back and you go, oh my, do you remember when, I, when, we, when we saw all these things? Oh, it makes all the sense now. I think in this moment, what Jesus is doing is giving an Easter egg to Nicodemus. And he's saying, right now, it may not make sense about this idea of a son of man being lifted on a pole. But there's going to come a time in your life when this is all going to come together, when you're going to see something. And in that moment, I want you to think back. And I want you to remember this conversation that we were having today. And I want you to remember what I said about being born again. And that's the end of the interaction. John, who is the author of this gospel, he wants to chime in. He wants to make sure that no one misses what Jesus is trying to teach Nicodemus. And he writes what is known as the greatest verse in all of Scripture. He recapitulates Jesus' entire conversation to Nicodemus by saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When you look at the Son of Man on that pole, you will not perish. And in this conversation, Jesus is showing the truth to this man. And he's saying soon the truth will be lifted up to Nicodemus. What will you do when faced with the truth? Are you, are you going to change? Are you going to allow this defining moment to change the course of your life forever? Or will you hear the truth and recoil and just go back to who you always were? Three years later, Jesus is betrayed by one of his disciples. He's arrested by the Romans. And he's crucified on the cross. That's what we'll be celebrating next week. When he laid on that cross dying, one of his secret followers, a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, Arimathea is his name. He went to Pilate, who was the Roman governor at the time, and he goes to Pilate and he goes, would you mind, can I have permission to take Jesus' body down? And Pilate said, yeah, not a problem. You can have the body. But Joseph didn't do this alone. He brought a helper with him. John says, with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh, and aloes, continues. Following Jewish customs, 
burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of cloth. This was the way the Jews made a body ready for the grave. You read this, over the course of three years, it becomes quite obvious what Nicodemus did with that defining moment. And I think it's incredible that this man who went under the cover of darkness is the very man who's now responsible for the preservation of our Lord's body. This man who went searching for the truth is now the man that laid truth in his grave. And that's just, it's stunning, stunning. As we've asked every single week during this series, how do we follow Jesus' lead? What can we learn specifically from this interaction that we can put into use as we go out there into the world? What can we learn from this whole series as we think back to everything we've learned this month? How do we move forward with this? What do we do? The first thing is that we have to get people to understand that honor for Christ is not enough. It's just not enough. Most people respect Jesus. There's no reputable scholars out these days that would say Jesus didn't exist. Muslims say that Jesus is one of the greatest prophets that ever came from God. Multitudes of people look at Jesus and say, he's a great teacher. He's a champion of the marginalized. He's a tremendous leader. But according to the scriptures, none of that is good enough. God says we must acknowledge Jesus as Lord. There we go. He's not some teacher sent by God, as Nicodemus first thought. He is God who came to die for our sins. Jesus is the only way that we can get to heaven. And I understand that's a difficult thing to hear in 2019. That might be a tough thing to say because it sounds so exclusive, but John Gribbon didn't make that up. This is not some claim that we made up. This is something that Jesus Christ himself said. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one, not one single person can go to the Father except by me. This is why we do what we do. This is why we have church. This is why God is sending you out into the world so that you can tell everyone you know this message. And people may try to stop you. People may try to say that the message of Jesus Christ is bigoted and hateful, but don't stop because it is the epitome of love. And building on this, we have to get folks to understand and grasp the importance of the cross. So many people, so many Christians believe that the foundation of Christianity is the Bible. And it's not. The foundation of Christianity is an event. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's what took place on that cross. And if that didn't happen, then all of this has been for naught. Paul speaks specifically about this. He goes, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then what we preach to you is worth nothing. Your faith in Christ is worth nothing. But it is true 
Christ has been raised from the dead, and all those who belong to Christ will be raised to new life. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? What do you do with a series like this? I was thinking about this week. As we leave today and we think back over the last couple of weeks, we have to take our mission seriously. Every single week, we have read the prayer of Jesus that he prayed over you, where he said, I am sending you out into the world to make a difference. Have we allowed that prayer to penetrate our own hearts? I mean, are the words doing anything in our lives? Do we really have a desire to share the gospel? Do we really have a desire to tell people about Jesus Christ? Do we really have a desire to let others know what has gone on in our life because we have said yes to Jesus? I've got to be honest with you. I often wonder if we understand what's at stake. A man that I respect greatly, who loves this church, doesn't go to this church, but loves what we do here, he posed the question to me, This question was posed to him, and I'm going to pose it to you. What if God answered all of your prayers? Think about your prayers that you've just prayed today, and this week, and this month, and now think about your entire life. Imagine for a moment that God answered every single request that you made. What would your life look like? I think a lot of us would have a lot bigger homes, faster cars. I think think we'd have children or more children. I think some of you have a lot more hair in your head, okay? I know that's a big prayer request at this church. But let me ask you a question. How many people would come to salvation because of your prayers? I was speechless when when he nailed me with this one because I was so convicted. Guys, we've got to get serious about this gospel thing. We've got to get serious about talking to people about Jesus because this isn't a game. We're talking about people's lives and we're talking about people's eternities. And so if you take up the challenge to go out there into the world, I want you to remember, you're not alone. You don't need to be afraid to talk about Jesus. God has promised to be with you. He is working inside of you. He is working through you. And he is already working in the hearts of the people that he has placed on your path. All you need to do is ask God to give you the words to say, and that's a prayer that he loves to answer. And what's so important for all of us to understand is that you are uniquely qualified. God created you to be you, to be special. And in this life, you will be able to reach someone that I can't. And likewise, I might be able to reach someone that you can't. So the question for you today is this. Where has God placed you? Who is around you? Who might God only be able to reach through you? 
Don't be afraid. Speak up. God will be there with you. And if we follow Jesus' lead, we can help change the world. We can make a difference. Let me pray for you.